We are here with Rob Phillips and Jonathan Hayashi. We are actually up in Missouri Baptist building here in Jeff City. We are so blessed to be able to sit with Rob. He's produced another um, resource for not just apologists, but for pastors and for lay people on the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, if you can't see on the live cast, I've got my Trinity t-shirt on. And uh, Adam is here with me. Um, we were so fortunate to get an early copy of it and so Adam and I have been able to do some reading. It is available though uh, on the Missouri Baptist website. It is also available on oncedelivered.net and uh, if you want to be a cheater you can get it off of Amazon and put it on your Kindle. Uh, but uh, whatever way you want to get it, it, it is available to you and uh, we won't be responding to live questions because we've got a pretty uh, good understanding of what we're wanting to do uh, but if there is something I'll scroll back through them after the interview but uh, we won't be as interactive online today as we generally are. Yeah, and we so. can do another episode um, dealing with peeling any questions. So if you guys have anything, uh, leave it in the comment box, and yeah. uh, we'll get to it and maybe make an episode out of it, and we can continue the conversation. Because the Trinity is a big deal when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to what we preach from the pulpits and hear from the pulpits. And also apologetics, it's a major, major issue. And so that's uh, why we came together today, because especially as presuppositional apologetics or apologists, uh, we know that as Van Til has pointed out that the, uh, the Trinity is the starting point uh, to have any sort of apologetical debate. So the understanding of the triune nature of God, um, that being the starting point to then explain all of reality and, you know, reality is knowable and all these kind of things. Um, it's a big deal, so um, we're thankful for Rob and his work um, come in putting this book together this year, you know, coming off of last year, talking about um, salvation, now we're talking about the Trinity, two major big topics um, that we talk about on the show uh, in Baptist life or just in Christianity in general, these are two major topics that are out there, so... Um, again, uh, with the book, uh, What Every Christian sh Should Know About the Trinity. We've got Rob Phillips. Um, want to Jonathan Ayashi has a special guest, too. Hey, yeah. Jonathan, thanks for joining so, us. So, Jonathan can <laughs> chime in any time yeah. he wants to yeah. as well. So, Rob, uh, why write a book on the doctrine of the Trinity? Just on the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah, well, first of all, nothing's more important than what we think about God. And, you know, when we think about him, it's essential to try to understand God as how he revealed himself to us. Mm -hmm. Not that we think something about him, but that we think the right things. Mm -hmm. So God's revealed himself not only in our conscience and in creation and in the person of Jesus Christ, but he's revealed himself and his triune nature in the word of God. So when we say we believe in God or we think about God, we say, well, who is he? Right. And how has he revealed himself? So the doctrine of the Trinity is essentially important, as you mentioned, Adam, as our as our starting point. 
And there are lots of excellent books out there about the Trinity. Uh, some of them are quite scholarly, and I really struggled with understanding. Others, I think, were maybe just a little too uh, simplistic. And what I was looking for was a way to dig in and have something that would be a practical uh, tool for pastors and lay leaders that help us understand what the Trinity is, uh, who the three persons of the Trinity are, and how Scripture uh, reveals that from Genesis through Revelation. The one true and living God who exists as three distinct but inseparable co-equal, co-eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I mean, uh, before we get to the next question, this kind of relates into that, but I think this is a step before that. Um, you're talking about revelation. You're talking about revealed. So um, we enter a world as apologists to where they're like, well, that's your understanding. They, they have this like enlightenment sort of Kantian uh, thing going on where like they read the Bible and they read it as like, well, this is how man has tried to reach up and transcend himself, but we are not dealing that way. Like the Bible wasn't just written by people going, well, we're going to philosophize today, um, say Moses, philosophizing like, here's what God should look like. His name should be Yahweh or, you know, but this is stuff that this is the the direction that God has come down and condescended exactly. and spoken and revealed. So um, I don't know but until we get, like we can get to the key passage uh, passages of the Trinity, but what would you have to say about like, I, I, I like to explain it as the revealed Trinity. So, yeah, well, uh, you're right. The, the Bible isn't just 40 different people over 1500 years expressing their opinions about God yeah. and God's work in human history. It's God revealing himself to us. It's truth about God that only God knows that we would be incapable of knowing without mm. God's help. So the Bible has to be our starting place with understanding who God is and how he's revealed himself. And he has revealed himself as one God in three persons. And that's oftentimes where we get tripped up. We say, that doesn't make sense. How can God be one and God be mm -hmm. three? But he's one being, one divine essence in three persons who are inseparable, co-equal and co-eternal. The Bible says the Father is God. The Bible says the Son is God. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is God. Mm -hmm. The Bible also says there's one and only one God. Yeah. And so we have to understand that as best we can. That is how God has revealed himself. So, especially if we distinguish between being and person. Mm. God is one in being and three in persons. There are four of us in this room. We share a common humanity. We're all human beings. We're of the same essence as being human. Yet we're four distinct persons, but we can't separate our humanity. We share our humanity in common. And in, in a similar way, God is one being one essence and yet that one true and living God is three distinguishable co-equal co-eternal persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. well, I know this isn't the next question but it kind of reads into that. You did an excellent job of defining the Trinity in the first chapters of the book. You did an excellent job of summarizing what you wrote there uh, very very well. One of the things you talk about though in the book and I believe it's in about that second chapter, maybe that third chapter, you talk about the inadequacy of analogies when it comes to the mm -hmm. Trinity. And I wanted to hammer down on that right, right away before we jump into these passages about the Trinity. And one reason for that is because I'll bet you there's four of us in this room. I'll bet you all four of us were taught a 
heresy regarding the doctrine of the Trinity. And uh, when we talk about the inadequacy of those analogies, what are some of those false analogies, uh, to put it, and where are they kind of wrong? Does that make sense? Yeah, for, for example, uh, and I'm guilty, I have used this in the past, the idea of a shamrock mm -hmm. or a three-leaf mm -hmm. clover. Here you have one clover, but it's got three leaves, and that's like the Trinity. Well, that's actually a heresy known as partialism. Mm -hmm. um, God isn't three different parts that make up one God. Uh, the Father is fully and completely God. The Son is fully and completely God, and the Holy Spirit is fully and completely God. So, while it's, it's a nice effort, you mm -hmm. get an A for effort with the shamrock, but you're really describing the heresy known as partialism. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I don't know, Jonathan, if you were taught any of these in the Sunday school, or you know, Adam, but they'd always say egg or ice. And there's some great videos, uh, I think, mm -hmm. of the, uh, oh gosh, the, the uh, one with the two, uh, the Lutheran video. That's We've seen those, and a lot of people have. But man, uh, what a serious issue, though. You know, of course, that's a great jokey video, but there really is a problem if the majority of people walking out of church on a Sunday morning, walking out of, let's be real specific, Missouri Baptist churches, yeah. believe they're worshiping a God who exists as a partial God. Yeah. Or a uh, modalistic God. And, uh, yeah. I know we all understand modalism, but you you would describe it in the book and think that I'm correct. Is so that God exists in certain modes? For a while, He's the yeah. Father. For a while, He's Jesus. Now He's the Holy Spirit, seen really clearly in the UPC, the United Pentecostal Church. I think its headquarters in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, mm -hmm. And so those guys, their theology has melted right into good Missouri Baptist mm -hmm. churches not because they were such great apologists for that position, but because we've inadequately communicated the trend. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And, and I, I just take us to, yeah, go for I it. just sketched down a few a few thoughts here. There are there are some who see the Trinity as three gods. Yeah. And of course that's polytheism. Yeah. Um, and so that's obviously a false um, definition of the Trinity, a false description of God. There are those who think that somehow God the Father is a greater God uh, than Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, that might, might be what you call henotheism. That is, you believe in a multitude of gods, but there is one God who is above all the rest, or one God that we need to focus our attention on. And that's really the view of Mormonism. The idea there's a multitude of gods, but Heavenly Father, the God of this world, is the one God with whom we have to do. That, unfortunately, is a false view of God as well. There are those who think the Trinity are three different expressions of mm -hmm. God. That God is like an actor on a stage who wears the mask of the Father, and then he comes back in the next act and wears the mask of the Son, and then he comes back in another mask and wears the mask of the Holy Spirit. Um, but that's, you know, that's a, a, what's known as modalism. The idea of God is just one person, but he appears in different modes at different times. And, and that's a false view of the Trinity. And then there are those that we talked about who think the Trinity is one God in three parts. And that's where you get the analogies of the egg yeah. being a shell, the yolk, and the white. Or you get 
um, uh, H2O, you know, yeah. being um, liquid, solid, and vapor, that type of thing. So those are false views. And then there's one other one. There's some who think the Trinity is just too complicated, therefore it can't be true. Mm -hmm. yeah. And our Jehovah's Witness friends and Muslim friends in their writings talk about the fact that the Trinity can't be true because it's just unreasonable. It doesn't make sense. You can't have three persons be one God and therefore they deny that. But the simple fact is God is the most uh, you know, complex, eternal, omniscient, uh, omnipotent, omnipresent being. He's the only one of those. Why would we expect God to be so simple that we can nail him down in our definition of him? I would expect the one true and living God who created all things, who knows all things, who's all-powerful, who's everywhere present, uh, to be very difficult to understand. The very fact that he revealed himself in ways we can understand in Scripture is a great gift to us. So to say that the Trinity is too complicated, can't be true, is really a cop-out. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we need to search the Scriptures and dig in deeply and say, how is it that this one eternal, uncreated creator of all exists as, as three co-equal, co-eternal persons who live in an everlasting um, a loving, self-giving, self-sacrificial relationship with one another. That's just an amazing concept. And God has chosen to reveal to that to us in Scripture and shows us how God the Father is all there is of God. God the Son is all there is of God. God the Holy Spirit is all there is of God. You can't, you can't take away a part of deity from either one of those persons. You can't take away uh, and say that, well, Jesus only knows this much and the Father knows this much, and the Spirit knows this much, and together they know everything. Yeah. No, each of those persons knows everything. And uh, so those are just a, a few of the false concepts mm -hmm. of God, and I don't mean to belittle or demean anybody who, who believes that, because they believe that sincerely, but those don't align with what the Scripture says about who the Trinity really is. So that brings us to that second question. We, we yeah. moved around <laughs> a bit. I think this is an important element, um, mm -hmm. because... Most likely, the people that we're going to run into who don't accept the doctrine of the Trinity are going to be those folks knocking on your door on Saturday mornings, or those great elders that are walking around, or those sisters that are walking around. Uh, we need to be equipped with some passages of Scripture. And what would be some of those great passages that we could share with them uh, to at least um, give them a clear idea of what Scripture says about the doctrine of the Trinity? Yeah. Well, there's no magic bullet. Yeah. You can't take Amen. them to a chapter and I'll verse that. that says, here's the doctrine of the Trinity, God's given it to us, and that's, that's all you need to know. And that's one of the reasons that so many people say, well, I don't believe in the Trinity because you can't quote me a chapter or verse that proves it to be the case. Um, and, and the word Trinity's not in the yeah. Bible, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the term anointed class isn't in the Bible yeah. either, yet our yeah. Jehovah's Witness friends obviously believe in that. Um, so, uh, to me, one of the, the best things to do is to encourage people to read the Bible. Mm. God has revealed himself from Genesis through Revelation, and that Revelation is progressive. Uh, we get a hint of the Trinity in Genesis, Genesis mm -hmm. 1 2. The Spirit of God brooded over or hovered over the waters, and that word shows up later in scripture that really shows conscious willful acting it 
reveals the personhood and creative power of the Holy Spirit. And when we get to the New Testament, John 1, 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, Jesus is clearly revealed as the creator of, mm -hmm. of all things. And so what I would encourage people to do is, is um, read all of Scripture. If you say, well, that's too much. Well, why don't you start with the Gospel of John mm -hmm. and the person of Jesus? It tells us that Jesus is eternal, that he's uncreated, that he's the creator of all, that he left the glory of heaven and came to earth. He didn't abandon his deity. He added sinless humanity to his deity. He was fully divine and fully human in his earthly ministry. And he offered up that perfect and eternal life on the cross to pay an eternal debt that we owe to God. And he rose physically from the dead to conquer Satan, sin, and death for us. He ascended into heaven. Today he's at the Father's right hand and he's coming back one day in power and great glory to fulfill all things. So you can do a study on each of the persons of Scripture. And John, John is an excellent gospel for looking at the person of Christ. But another thing that I think is interesting is if you will just read the New Testament and take note of all of the passages where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are mentioned together, you know there's 75 New Testament passages where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all mentioned together mm -hmm. in their work of redemption, in their sovereignty over all things, in the coming judgment. And so if you will be willing to take the time to sit down and read through the New Testament and make note of how God is revealing himself as triune, that would be a really good starting place. The Old Testament gives us a good deal of information as well. In fact, ancient, uh, the ancient Jews believed there were two, at least two, Yahweh figures. One invisible and one who would appear oftentimes in human form. And that was considered an Orthodox Jewish belief until late in the first century when Jesus was being proclaimed as that divine Yahweh figure who appeared as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. And they said, that's got to be a heresy. So they mm -hmm. stopped teaching it beyond that. So there are hints of the Trinity in the Old Testament, and it just builds as you go through the Old Testament. And it is really clear in the New Testament. But if you're looking for a chapter and verse that just fixes the debate and says, there, that's it, that proves it, I'm walking away, you're going to be disappointed, but that's pretty much the same of any doctrine. Uh, whether it's salvation, uh, whether it's judgment, whether it's heaven and hell, um, those things are best understood if you take the time to immerse yourself in the scripture and read through and take note. I love how you quote Lockyer uh, in his commentary when you're speaking about Elohim. So I actually read that commentary, <laughs> and and so uh, he talks about the word Elohim and how that has a you know a significance of majesty, but also a plurality, and how's that used? And uh, that was just one thing that I thought was a key piece, you know, to that puzzle of how the Jews dealt with. And I think that it's even Lockyer who says Jewish commentators still struggle with Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter nineteen and how to functionally understand that in the rest of scripture well we know why uh, because God was revealing even there in the beginning where he was yeah. and how he existed and mm -hmm. so yeah just a beautiful thing there uh, Jonathan I don't want to close you out yeah any questions you know in your mind yeah. that would, uh, would, would help yeah Rob I just really appreciate just your just faithfulness and just careful consistent exegesis of just 
just, you know, I think Tozer said, we need the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Exactly. And just understanding even the doctrine of Trinity, we're trying to understand the attribute of God, who God is, and His work. And then it's really just a biblical faithful anthropology, like what is the nature of man, which is who, who is man, and who, you know, what it is. And I think, again, as Christians, what's important, as, especially as evangelical Christian, which would get the word euangelion, which is the gospel you were just mentioning, the gospel right. of John. So, I guess, like for me, it's just like, okay, the doctrine of Trinity, you know, the gospel, we're talking about the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? His death, burial, resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And you, you just briefly share that. But I guess my question is, how does the doctrine of the Trinity impact the way we understand and the way we live the gospel on a day-to-day basis? Does it make sense? Yes, I think so. Um, we obviously worship one true and living God. This one God exists as three, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they are always one in nature, one in substance, and one in purpose. The Holy Spirit doesn't go off and do his own thing mm. and come back and inform the Father and the Son about it. Same with the Son. So they're always acting in perfect unity. So for us as followers of Jesus, it's important to know who he is, what he's done for us, what he's continuing to do today. But it's also important to know that the Father is the one who, uh, in eternity past, foreknew us, elected us, predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. He's the one who, after we're born again, adopts us as his children. And so understanding our relationship with God the Father really is important uh, to us as followers of Jesus. Jesus condescended to be one of us. The writer of Hebrews mm-hmm. talks about he came and took on human nature so he could be our faithful high priest. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is referred to, in a sense, as uh, uh, a co-heir. We've been made co-heirs with Jesus, and Jesus isn't upset about that. He's delighted in that, mm-hmm. that he shares everything that belongs to him with us as his, his adopted brothers in Christ. And then, of course, there's the Holy Spirit who comes and he acts upon the proclamation of the gospel, draws unbelievers to faith in Christ, then he indwells us, he uh, uh, seals us or places God's mark of ownership on us, he gives us spiritual gifts, Uh, he um, sanctifies us or sets us apart and marks us off as his own, Uh, he's our down payment on our home in heaven, and so, you know, to your point, really someone who's attempting to, to live as a Christ follower needs to have an understanding that it, while Jesus is our Savior and he's the focus of our life, we get the whole Trinity right. when mm-hmm. we come to faith in Christ. We have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit, all of whom work together to make sure we're not going to fall away and be lost. He is going to work on us to conform us to the image of Christ, and sometimes that means divine discipline <laughs> in order to do that. You know, any, any father who loves his children is going to discipline them and so on. And then he encourages us and he allows us to take part in the proclamation of the gospel, the sharing of the good news with other people. And none of that would be possible without the triune nature of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what's so neat, I think, about the Trinity. Amen. Mm-hmm. And so whenever uh, we think about the doctrine, I mean, you already sort of uh, outlined a few of them there, but uh, um, this Trinity doctrine does impact 
Like, you know, it's we're just not linearly thinking whenever we think about all the doctrines of Scripture. It's like chain mail. Yeah. It's where they all come together and intersect, or as um, you said in your book on salvation, you use the diamond. Um, I'm thankful again <laughs> for, for that illustration um, because it's a good one, but, you know, we have the facet, which can't be really enjoyed without the whole diamond. Right. Or some, like, even looking at three facets together and how they look and sparkle together, you know, it's like you got to consider the whole and the parts. Um, so, you know, is there any more doctrines that, you know, the Trinity directly impacts? Yeah, I think the Trinity, in one way or another, probably impacts all of mm -hmm. the doctrines of mm -hmm. the Christian faith. Because, mm -hmm. again, yeah. the Father doesn't act alone, the Son doesn't act alone, the Holy Spirit doesn't act alone. They do it all together. And we see... In creation, for example, I mean, we think about God, you know, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we think, oftentimes think, well, that's God the Father. But Genesis 1-2 says the Holy Spirit hovered or brooded over the waters and took an active part. Mm -hmm. And then in John and Colossians and Hebrews and Revelation, we see that Jesus is the one who created. So you can't really mm -hmm. understand the doctrine of creation without seeing how the Father, Son, Holy Spirit work together call everything into existence out of nothing. Uh, and then the doctrine of salvation, which we talked about, it yeah. cannot really be understood fully without the doctrine of uh, the Trinity. Um, and so those are a couple of um, key doctrines, but even the doctrine of Scripture itself. Well, I was going yeah. to yeah. say, yeah. what about the doctrine of Scripture? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we see, you know, that being divine revelation, we think about the Holy Spirit as the author of Scripture, and, and He is. Um, uh, we see the Holy Spirit uh, speaking and inspiring in the Old Testament. We see the Holy Spirit uh, breathing out the, the words of God in the New Testament and so on. But we also see God the Father owning Scripture numerous times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we see Jesus, though he didn't leave us with any written documents, Jesus as being you know, the word uh, in human flesh and also the, the words and the deeds of Jesus being recorded. And Jesus promises his apostles, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to help you remember all the things that I said and all the things that I did. And that implies that they would accurately and faithfully record those. So we, we hold those 66 books of the Bible in our hands today. And... That is the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit uh, together, breathing out truth that only God knows and we would be incapable of knowing without His help. The doctrine um, of the Trinity. Um, when I think about, and I've got your question here, and I, I want to make sure that I articulate it right. Sometimes it's kind of nice when, when, when we've written some of the questions, I can just... Uh, but this was a part that you'd wanted to make sure we, we got out there. Does confusion arise regarding the doctrine of the Trinity because of the different ways the Bible uses the term God? Yeah, thank you. And the answer to that, I think, is yes. And I think there are three primary ways that the Bible uses the word God, mm -hmm. at least in the English that we see as God. First of all, it's a reference it can be a reference to God the Father. And yeah. that's the way we normally think about it. But like 1 Corinthians 8, 6, for example, says, Yet for us there is one God the Father. Now, if that's all we had, we would say, well, God is one person and God is the Father. And Jehovah's Witnesses actually use this verse of Scripture to mm. debate with us. Say, yeah. see, 
there's only one God and that God's the Father, so the case is closed. But that's not all the scripture has to say. We know that the deity of Christ and the deity of the Holy Spirit is expressed elsewhere. So sometimes that word God is used to describe uh, God the Father. A second way that the Bible uses the name God is a reference to the divine nature that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit share. For example, in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, or Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus was the Father and the Father was Jesus, but it means the two share that eternal divine nature, and Jesus is that expression of the divine nature, uh, Paul says that in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead, all the fullness of deity resides. And then uh, Romans 8, 9, 1 Peter 1, 11, uh, shows where the Holy Spirit is called both the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. Mm -hmm. So that second way that the word God is sometimes used is to describe the divine nature that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share. And then the third way that the word God is used is a reference to the entire Trinity. For example, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God, or Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And as we see later where the Holy Spirit and Jesus are involved in creation with God the Father, we have to say, well, if God created the heavens and the earth, that's really a reference to the triune nature of God. Um, so that's really... a some different ways it's used. Uh, later scriptures tell us the Holy Spirit uh, is the creator, Genesis 1-2, and that Jesus is the creator as well. So uh, if, if when you see the word God, you have to look at it in its context, and the context will tell you the proper application for that. One thing I really appreciate about all of your books, and man, you just blessed our church, uh, First Baptist Buffalo, time and again with your resources, specifically the uh, the Apologist Toolkit, and I just want to let you know, the youth at First Baptist have been going through that ever since you <laughs> dropped it off, and they, actually, they, I think they started in November, the start of November, and they're still going through it, and man, I'm not joking, we've had people actually start coming to our church because we teach our students apologetics, that's wow. no joke, that's awesome. uh, which was really, really great. That's awesome. Uh, what I love about your resources are you create a workbook at the back of them, and this book is like that. And so it causes me to think about uh, your goals for this book uh, when it gets into the hands of a pastor. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of what you intended with it as a resource for pastors, for Sunday school teachers, and uh, why it's a really good, you know, in your opinion, because uh, you wrote it, but uh, <laughs> my opinion too, but why would it be a good resource for pastors? How do you see them using it? With the, the questions and the study guide in the back of each chapter, uh, my hope would be that if a pastor finds this as a useful personal tool, that he might also want to use it for a congregational study, you know, Sunday night or Wednesday nights, or that small groups within the church or Sunday school classes or Bible study groups within the church could use that and walk through uh, chapter by chapter in order to understand the Trinity. And we've made uh, this book uh, available to any of our Missouri Baptist churches uh, who contact us for $5 a piece, which is basically our printing cost. 
and because what we want to do is put these in the hands of as many of our Missouri Baptist uh, pastors and lay leaders as possible. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's my hope there. Perhaps even the pastor might use it for a sermon series. Yeah. Uh, that might go anywhere from a few weeks to 12 weeks since our 12 chapters yeah. in the book. The last apologist we used that at our church mm -hmm. that way, by the way. Good. On Sunday evening, Good. Or Sunday evening uh, we, we used the way you broke it up. So, yeah, don't let me, I don't want to uh, <laughs> control the conversation, <laughs> guys. So, so get in your questions if, if you'd like. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, really, because of, you know, you know, this book coming out, uh, giving it to pastors, giving it that study time. Um, is there anything that uh, you know maybe somebody might be blind to? Because like, we all have blind spots. Pastors can have blind spots. Other leaders and churches can have a blind spot. Is there anything that you're seeing right now that a study of the Trinity, like just either in Baptist life, Christianity in general, um, that you would find this like we need to talk about this in our churches? Yeah, I, I think what I see is sort of a general ignorance, for lack of a better term, of the doctrine of the Trinity. Because we're evangelical Christians, we believe in the Trinity, and we're unapologetic about that. But then if you ask someone, well, what is the Trinity? Can you define that for me? Yeah. Uh, it oftentimes doesn't get any farther than that. It's, well, yeah, it's, it's three gods who make up one. Or it's one God with three. I mean, there's just a, a there's this general belief in the doctrine of the Trinity, but an inability to understand it and explain it. And to me, that's what opens you up then to the false teachings we discussed earlier, yeah. where it, polytheistic beliefs, modalistic beliefs, partialism, and all of those things come in because those are basically ancient heresies. Uh, that some of the early councils of the church had to address and correct in order to come up with a proper biblical understanding of the Trinity. So I, I'm hoping that this book will help sort of raise the awareness. But it, to me, one of the biggest dangers is just, well, this is a settled deal. We all believe it, so we don't have to understand it. Yeah, and, and I mean, this is danger. like, you know, uh, like when I was talking, I did a sermon on Hebrews, and this is what I had to be like, you know, if you look at the end of 5 and the beginning of Hebrews 6, you know, they're getting hit. You should be teachers now. And so we can't just sit back and like, you know, I, I love people that have faith. Um, but it's the fact that we don't have blind faith. We have a faith right. that is written in history, uh, written in, I mean, the person of Jesus Christ himself. Um, and so we're not just blindly just believing, you know, against some enlightenment ideal of God, but we are believing the person and work of Jesus Christ um, because we know who God is because of him. Right. And we act so we act out of that, and so, um, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, we're not trying to be condescending and saying, like, you're ignorant, you're foolish, you're dumb. We're saying, like, you need to step it up is pretty much, and that's what this book is written for. It's like, let's step up because what we need to do is we've got to, again, give an answer for the hope that lies within us. It's the gospel, and it's the gospel given to us right. by the triune God in Revelation and throughout history. Um, and so, I mean... That's just like kind of that hard thing that I have had to deal with is with some people that just want to just stick with, I just believe this and this is enough. Right. But we do, you know, like what would you say to somebody um, that would just kind of be like that? Um, like how would you encourage them to get deeper? Yeah, you touched on a lot of really, really good points. And, and uh, of course, Peter tells us, all of us as followers of mm -hmm. Jesus are apologists. We're supposed to always yes. be ready to give an answer. Uh, if we don't know who 
who the Trinity is. Uh, if we don't know why it's important to understand the deity of Christ or justification by faith uh, or future resurrection judgment, some of those core non-negotiable doctrines of the Christian faith, then we're not really doing what God has charged mm -hmm. us to do to be ready to defend the faith. So if someone says, well, you know, I believe this and this is good enough, uh, you know, I, I would want to challenge them to think about why do you think this is good enough? Why do you think this is deep enough? Do you think your Jehovah's Witness friend or your Mormon friend or your United Pentecostal friend or your Buddhist friend, uh, do you think that would satisfy them when they come and tell you uh, Jesus is something other than Scripture or the Holy Spirit is something other than what Scripture says? So uh, you should never stop learning and never trying mm -hmm. to go deeper. Uh, there are a lot of challenges to the Christian faith and they can only be answered by a deep understanding of scripture mm -hmm. and uh, so so I think that would be a real real important thing I'd hate to see anybody be satisfied where they are yeah. in yeah. their knowledge of scripture yeah and unfortunately that's that is the case that I've seen it and that breaks my heart and so again that's why you know the apologetics network is here this is why Rob's here this is why we have awesome elders and pastors out there trying to teach and so it, it, from the lay person side from the congregational side we we do need to step it up and you know it's not we all have to become seminary students um, but that's what the church is for is to build each other up give words of exhortation and the doctrine of the trinity can be a word of exhortation yeah, exactly so. exactly mm -hmm. you got anything dave well i, I know you're working just, on uh, the, uh, the live feed fell down yeah. uh, and it was rebooting and i went ahead and rebooted it all the way uh, I want to jump here to kind of the end uh, because I think this is a practical question and something that means a lot to me um, because I felt really proud of myself at one point because I taught a series on the Doctrine of the Trinity really thought I was just nailing it on the head and uh, I, I preached, I've been pastor at First Baptist Buffalo for four years and I have preached on the Doctrine of the Trinity I believe three times. Um, I know for sure twice, but I think three times directly. You know, who is God? It was a question uh, that I got when I had this little survey series. And so I said, oh, this is awesome. And I, I think that I did another sermon where I basically I took the chapters that I had written for the apologetics book last year and the chapter that I wrote and made that into four sermons. And so it seems like I, if I didn't preach on it from the pulpit, I taught on it on a Wednesday night in our systematic theology class. I was really feeling good and uh, had a person come up to me and tell me, and I'm going to make sure, because I wrote it down here, I'll make sure I get it. Essentially, this individual said, we don't need to talk about the Trinity because it's not important. And it was very direct. And I, I know at that time I had at least preached on it twice, but I'm counting my teaching on a Wednesday night and preaching on it. And I mean, I, this person was angry at me for preaching on the doctrine of the Trinity. What would you say to that person? And if that happens to a pastor, because man, I, I believe you hit it right on the head. We don't know the Trinity. We don't have God, right? If you don't have a triune God, you've got a false God. Exactly. And so, uh, and I'll say that unequivocally. Um, so what would you say to that person? And how would you kind of engage in that conversation? Because maybe that's something that a pastor or, or elder is going to have. Uh, as they kind of move forward with this. Yeah, I, when you raised that question, I thought, wow, really? 
Someone said that the doctrine of the Trinity is not important and we shouldn't be teaching on it. I guess my not knowing that person, yeah, uh, but certainly having that person, loving that person. That's that right. Person That's the first person. point right there. Then Dave doesn't always do very well. <laughs> Dave then hears that and says, now I'm going to pound you into the ground. <laughs> Theologically. <laughs> we usually get 1 Peter 3.15, right? Where we're all apologists, but sometimes forget... 1 Peter 3.16, do it with gentleness and yeah, respect, yeah, and I'm certainly guilty of that uh, as well. But I think the first question I would want to lovingly ask is, why do you think the doctrine of the Trinity is not important? Mm. Um, I can't fathom what they might say to that, but then I might follow up and say, well, what doctrines do you think are important? And uh, that might help draw and kind of really, see where that person's really coming from. good. My goodness. I mean, yeah. Especially as you've built an amazing case to demonstrate, well, this is the central doctrine. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, they might say, well, you got to preach about eschatology. you got to <laughs> preach about the end time. And, and that's really important. But, yeah. you know, we've talked about this before where Dr. Al Mohler has talked about doing theological triage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have those first order doctrines, those non-negotiable doctrines of the Christian faith, apart from which you don't have Orthodox Christianity. That's right. Trinity mm -hmm. is one of those. That's right. But then you have the secondary doctrines, uh, you know, which can be the doctrine of election, the role of uh, women in church leadership and things like that. Very important doctrines but they shouldn't divide us as followers of Jesus, but they are going to divide us by local congregations or denominations. And then the third order doctrines, and I would put eschatology in there, where you can have people in the same local congregation who love and care for each other, but you disagree about those. And so I think trying to draw this person out and find out what does this person consider to be the first order non-negotiable doctrines. And if they're talking about eschatology or speaking in tongues or the role of women in the church, I would acknowledge those as being very, very important doctrines that we should wrestle with and teach, but they don't rise to the level of being non-negotiables yeah. like mm -hmm. the doctrine yeah. of the Trinity is. Well, Rob, you have been so generous to give us your time. Well, Again, thanks for, thanks for, for coming. a great interview. Uh, the great book that you've just produced, What Every Christian Should Know About the Trinity, available for $5.00 or any Missouri if, Baptist. If they'll contact if they'll us contact here. contact the Missouri Baptist Convention. Yeah, they can call us or they can they can send us a, an so email. So MoBAP, MoBAP.org, right? Is the website? So it is the website. Go to MoBAP, M-O-B-A-P-T dot org. Um, then you can search for it. I'm sure you're going to find a picture of this book and you'll have a little order link and then you can hit contact us. And there's emails and phone numbers. There's no way that you can't get a hold of this book from pretty much the man himself, anyway, that wrote it. So, um, Rob, thank you so much for letting us come up here. Thanks for having uh, me. Second year in a row up here in Jefferson yeah. City, doing an on-location thing and dealing with awesome technical stuff. So, um, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for uh, doing this, and we look forward to hopefully what you got in store within the next yeah. year. But we do hope and pray um, that uh, God uh, finds you faithful. Um, as a faithful servant writing books like this and uh, just uh, helping give Missouri Baptist uh, materials so that we can be means um, to our congregations, our friends, our family, and to make disciples and to preach the gospel at all costs. So um, with that said, I guess this is the uh, Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. And Jonathan. And we got Rob. And how are we going to split up three words? I go so, you go Lee. 
Deo Gloria. Okay. So, Soli. Lee. Oh, Soli. Lee. Deo Gloria.